Perfect. So hello, everyone. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to be here on this wonderful Tuesday um, with Jen to talk about her experience and her life and um, such a personal story. So, you know, before we get into anything, I just want to shout out some housekeeping. You know, please turn your cameras on. I see Lisa. Hello, Lisa. So lovely to have you and see you. Um, and you can come off and mute at any time. I know that while this is a personal story, it can probably bring up a lot of emotion. So I want to tell you that it's okay to feel emotion. It's okay to cry. And it's okay if you have to turn off your camera to do so. Um, I know I get quite emotional on some of these chats, especially when they're, you know, real life stories and we get to hear them um, on such a personal level. Um, and so with that, you know, I want to say that you can write any questions or comments that you have in the chat. And if you at any point feel uncomfortable writing it to the whole group, please feel free to write me anonymously. And you can do so by going down to the chat, hitting the drop down menu, and then you, you just pick my name, Nicole Peltzer. You can write me anonymously and privately. Um, and this is being recorded. So we will send a rewatch link and I see Cynthia and her camera on. I see Davida and her camera on. So hello everyone. I see Mindy. Oh, this is awesome. Hello everyone. Um, and so I will send this in a follow-up email and uh, you'll get to rewatch this, take some notes afterwards. So, you know, we definitely want you to be here in the present with us right now and um, share in this lovely experience. And I think that that's all I had to cover. Um, so thank you. And I am so excited to introduce our speaker, Jen. Um, and so, you know, Jen is the president and co-founder of Women of Email. And I don't want to take up too much of, you know, that space. And I want to hand it to her and welcome her today and let her introduce herself. I'm Jen. I'm Jen Capstraw. Um, I'm a mega nerd. I love email marketing so much that I started my own club, right? <laughs> um, so I'm president and co-founder of Women of Email, a 501c3 nonprofit association. Uh, we've got, uh, actually, since I sent you this bio, Nicole, we've, we're up to 4,700 members uh, in 50 countries. Uh, membership is free for our organization, and we've had a lot of great successes in terms of um, helping to close the wage gap and uh, helping more women elevate their careers, especially in terms of becoming visible thought leaders in the industry. Um, and we've got a terrific community on Facebook and lots of great events as well. well. We'll get back to those events once the world gets normal once again. But for now, we've got online events like this one. Yes, and what a change it's been because, Jen, I remember you saying that when we first met that you've, you know, been a speaker at various conventions, various conferences. And so, you know, before we dive into anything, how has your experience been making this switch to virtual um, and how have you been handling everything? Um, well, I actually uh, left my last role right around the time that this whole coronavirus thing hit. So March 1st was my last day um, at my last full-time position. And I'm on a bit of a hiatus right now while I figure out what my next career move is going to be because Women of Email is uh, volunteer run and donation funded. It does not pay my bills. <laughs> it's something that um, I do it because it's uh, something I'm very passionate about. So um, I'm doing less speaking, uh, as you can guess, but uh, I haven't stopped entirely. I actually, my last live conference was uh, around, it was mid-March, was just days before the lockdown, before we realized how serious things were. And um, so there's, I 
by November of last year, I think I had been offered 28 speaking opportunities in 2020 and nearly all of them were canceled or turned into an online event. Um, a few of them have turned into online events. I am used to doing online events, doing webinars and that sort of thing. So the transition hasn't been that tough for me. And I honestly discovered that I really am enjoying being a homebody and enjoying my home and I'm gardening and I'm cooking and I'm doing things that I otherwise wouldn't do. So it's not entirely bad. I love to hear that. And that's awesome. Um, and I, and you mentioned that women of email runs on donation and volunteers. So if someone wanted to make a donation to women of email, um, and the organization, how, how should they go about that? If you go to womenofemail.org, down in the bottom right corner, there's a donate now button and a recommended donations link. And we've got some suggestions for how much you should donate based on who you are, what your experience has been with women of email and the ways that you want to support us and the ways that we have supported you previously. Um, and noteworthy, our biggest donors are men, which is terrific. And we've gotten so much support from our male allies in the email industry. Oh, I love to hear that. Perfect. So without further ado, you know, let's dive right into these questions. Let's talk about this all. I am so excited um, to hear your story. So these are some of the pre-submitted questions we have, but of course I want to call out at any time, if anyone wants to chime in, you know, please turn, turn off your mute and, uh, or write in the chat and we will get to that as we want this to be a conversation. Yeah, I'm seeing lots of my friends in the chat. Hello friends. I'm glad to hear you also have at sign in your uh, home office as well. <laughs> Love it. Um, so Jen, let's start off by having you tell us about your story and, you know, get into what was that rock bottom. And then of course I want to preface with saying as much as you feel comfortable um, saying, and I want you to be comfortable here. Yeah, I haven't really talked publicly about this very personal experience that I've had that kind of led me to where I am professionally today uh, and also personally, but um, it kind of starts, I guess, in 2006. I moved to New York City uh, with my now ex-husband for his job, and prior to that move, I, I just, I really struggled with my career all through our marriage. Uh, I felt like I had a, a lot of ambition and a lot of talent, and I was trapped at this little nonprofit association. I was making very little money, and um, I, I accomplished a lot because I had so many hats that I could wear there. Uh, I was able to try out a lot of different things, email being one of them, um, and it was great experience, but um, I was very uh, financially insecure and struggling on that front. And, um, you know, before I had gotten married, I even couldn't actually afford food on the salary I was making. I was putting food on my credit card um, and I was not living glamorously by any means. And so um, I always really struggled financially, even though I felt I had a lot to offer. So in 2006, we moved to New York City. Uh, we broke up within six months, which was a, a wonderful and much needed thing and great for both of us. Um, and I got my first New York City job, but unfortunately, I still didn't know what I was worth. And I took a lowball offer and I got kind of trapped in that role. And it was a similar situation where I was contributing in a lot of different ways, wearing a lot of hats, identifying areas of opportunity and just diving right into them. Um, in fact, it's where I first got into um, lead generation. I launched a whole lead gen strategy and lead nurturing strategy for this B2B company. And it was a runaway success. Um, it took me about a year to implement the whole project. And um, uh, I should mention uh, that, that 
the end of my marriage also left me with a huge amount of debt. Um, so on top of like having this low ball offer and having a whole lot of debt and living a little bit on my means in Manhattan. Um, but I, I just, I was like, I work hard. I'll just keep working hard. I'll get there. And it didn't happen. I was not being promoted. There were promotions that were promised that never came to fruition. Then there was the recession of 2008, 2009. We all took a pay cut at that point. And it just didn't matter what I did or how hard I worked. I wasn't getting anywhere. And I felt very, um, underpaid, underappreciated. And I started reading um, some books that really inspired me and got me kind of fired up about like knowing your value. And, and um, I decided I was going to get a better job. And I started interviewing and I had one interview that was so disastrous that it's comical and I wish I had the time to tell you all about it. But um, needless to say, I just wasn't making headway with these interviews and I but I did have a lot of them lined up when something uh, really terrible happened which was a moped accident um, I was dating I was in a new relationship um, my boyfriend wanted to take me to Block Island which is this quaint little resort island off of Rhode Island and we were supposed to have this romantic getaway weekend and he's like let's rent mopeds and drive around the island um, and I was very nervous about that and didn't really want to do it, um, but felt like, well, you know, it'll be fun. He wants to do it. And I went along with it anyway. Um, there was a problem with my vehicle. It was the last vehicle available for rent that day. I'd never driven one before. The steering seemed a little off. I said something to the attendant and he gave it a jiggle and said, it's fine. Off you go. And I didn't want to make a fuss. And the short version is, um, I was in a head-on collision hours later with a uh, minivan and I crushed my right ankle and my left wrist. And when I say crushed, I mean, there was nothing in there really holding it together. It was just the skin on the outside holding my body together. It was bad. Um, and when I tell people about it and describe how bad it was, they don't realize how bad it is until they see the gory, gory pictures and they are gory. Um, I had to charter a plane to get flown off of the island to get to a hospital. I was in um, actually three medical facilities within a matter of hours before I got to one that could treat my injuries without amputation. So I came really close to losing my leg um, and the technology that saved my leg had only existed for about a decade at that point in time. So I ended up at a trauma center in Rhode Island and I had um, surgery on my wrist, surgery on my ankle, and I was there for about a week. And then I had to make a decision because I needed more surgeries um, and I needed to um, recover a bit in between. So I had to choose what was I going to do uh, after this first surgery. The surgeon who um, had done my first surgery, I was a very exciting case. You know, it was a very complex, damaged body. And so that gets doctors very, very excited. And this was a, a young, uh, very talented orthopedic surgeon who really had an interest in seeing this all the way through. But my home was New York. Uh, my support system was New York. And I did not care to stay in Rhode Island for an indefinite period of time, just so this guy could um, continue to do surgeries on me and be a part of my recovery. And fun fact, side story, that guy went to prison for running a drug ring 
gang uh, to feed his own drug addiction and was most likely on a lot of drugs when he did my um, surgery, but fortunately he didn't do anything wrong. Um, this is kind of a wild ride. I ended up in a nursing home in Harlem for a few weeks um, because I did want to go back to New York where my support system was. Uh, I celebrated my 36th birthday as a resident of a nursing home. And um, then I had a second surgery. Uh, and while I was recovering in the hospital from the second surgery, so my first surgery was for external fixation where they, they drill bars through your skin into your bones and they um, uh, connect them outside of your body to hold your bones together. And as the swelling went down, they then wanted to put plates and screws inside of my body to hold me together, uh, which they're still there, they're permanent. Um, so the second surgery was to do the internal fixation and I had an, uh, a wonderful surgeon uh, from NYU who did that. And while I was recovering, I got a text from my boyfriend. He did not want to be in a relationship with a very physically damaged person like myself. So that part of my support system was then gone. Um, but I did have an amazing group of friends around me who supported me. Um, and eventually, my life was just kind of slowly falling apart. I, I ended up in another nursing home. I ended up in a nursing home on the Upper East Side for a few months. Um, eventually, I was homebound. I had a home care aide. But um, not a day went by that I didn't have friends uh, come to visit me, come support me, help me out, feed my cat in my apartment, help me take care of some of my um, personal issues. Um, but eventually, um, the bills started ro rolling in. and. Um, the physical rehabilitation started and it was, the pain was was very intense. It was a very, very difficult recovery and it's not something that I will ever fully recover from. Um, I did have a very good outcome compared to other people who have similar injuries, um, no complications, but um, it is something that is permanent and I kind of reached the best that I'm gonna be and, and it will decline and get worse um, as I age. So, um, Meanwhile, I, you know, my job situation stunk and I needed to find a new job. And um, you've got, I've got another uh, number of other questions where I'm gonna kind of weave together, you know, kind of what happened uh, in the interim. But to fast forward to today, where the last couple of years, um, a couple of years ago, I was able to actually create my own dream job. I went from struggling and not being able to afford food to, um, calling the shots and saying, I've got something to offer you, you know, dream company. And um, here's what I would like my job to be. And, uh, you know, I, I'm building a personal brand. And as of last year, I was the thought leader in the email industry who spent the most time on stage. It was a total of 67 hours I sent, spent physically on a stage talking about email marketing, uh, which sounds very nerdy and boring, but I get freakishly excited about it. And um, I've come a very long way. I've completely 180'd my life, but um, it's still not perfect. And then there still are some difficulties and challenges. So that's the short version. We can dive into some more details with some of these other questions. What an emotional story. And wow, um, I think anyone who has suffered from any sort of medical experience um, can share in that it's not easy and it's really, really depressing, let alone having other issues on the side, right? But any sort of like medical thing that really hinders your, your ability to live and carry out simple tasks, um, 
is so debilitating and so depressing and leaves you so lonely. Um, so thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing that and being authentic. And I wanted to ask you, you know, through all this, how did you av avoid or combat the victim mentality, you know, before we dive into anything else? Because I think this is really important to bring up now. How did you combat that, get out of that and start to approach companies and say, this is what I'm worth after going through all of that? Well, I mean, I had to experience the victim mentality and it wasn't something that I was even new to, right? When I was much younger and earlier in my career, I felt like nothing was within my control, that I was simply at the whims of the world and um, I was powerless. And I really struggled with that for many, many years early in my career. So I already felt like a victim of the world in some ways. And I was, um, after my divorce, really working through that and getting past it. And then this accident happened. And yeah, I felt like a victim again. It doesn't feel fair, right? And we don't have uh, a healthcare system that makes it easy to survive these situations from a financial perspective. So I had to experience that. I had to be a victim. Um, that's normal, I think. Um, I think it, it, for any young person who's had a hardship, it's a natural feeling. You just can't wallow in it. You can't stay there. You have to, to 180 your mindset. Um, and the reality was that it didn't matter if it was fair. It happened. And I owed money. I had medical expenses. I had personal expenses. I had lost wages. And it didn't matter what was fair. What mattered was I had obligations in this world. And if I wanted to have a happy and productive life, I had to take ownership of that. I had to address that. I had to deal with it. Um, so it was just the circumstances forced me to face it, right? Because I didn't want to wallow forever. And, you know, there are people who um, always want you to look on the bright side, you know, look to the positive. Uh, some of the comments that I got when I was recovering, the strangest one was, you're so lucky, right? That is a bizarre thing to say to somebody who has been physically, financially, and emotionally devastated. Um, that's not lucky at all. But what they were saying was that you're not dead. Um, and that's the wrong thing to say. And um, the whole looking on the bright side thing, like, toxic positivity is a thing and it's not healthy. Um, it's a denial of reality. Like you need to feel sad. You need to feel mad. Um, you need to feel frustrated. You have to process all of these things before you can move forward and take control of whatever you can control. Oh, and I'm getting a comment from my friend, Lisa. <laughs> We, we were friends long before it happened. So yeah, she, she was aware of, of that progress. I, I kept people updated on my social media. Um, I used humor to uh, communicate my situation with the world because you can't help but find humor in a situation like that. I was living in a nursing home. I was meeting all sorts of characters. A man offered me $20,000 to marry another person for a green card to get out of medical debt. Like it was, it was strange. It was definitely strange. <laughs> Humor goes oh. a long way, um, and, but you need to surround yourself with like a really great support system as well. Um, you know, not everyone is fortunate enough to have a really wonderful family support system, um, but we can all control the family that we create and the friends that we put around us. And um, the, the folks who were around me supported me 
tremendously and they didn't blow any sunshine up my butt. Like they, they treated me with respect and, and were direct and um, offered me good advice and a lot of help for sure. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, and Lisa saying that some of the nursing home stories were hilarious. So maybe we'll have to invite you back just to tell us those stories because that sounds like quite an experience. Um, and, you know, Lisa said, what a great, uh, differently. So said, what a great journey, Jen. Um, Bridget said, I think humor is an, a great alternative to toxic positivity because it addresses how awful things are and encourages coping. Yes, I'm very there with you. Um, perfect. And so, uh, thank you so much for that. Um, it's an incredible story. And so, I mean, you kind of answered this, so I'd like to just skip this because, you know, how did you persevere through anything, everything, unless there's something that you want to add here? Well, I mean, we don't have a choice really, right? We all have to persevere. We're all dealing with the hand we've been dealt. Um, and some of what happens in our lives is a direct result of our own actions. Some of it is circumstances beyond our control or absolute chance. A lot of it's a combination of both, um, but we have to choose how we respond. And we all have hardships. Um, some are huge, some are not so huge, but they all feel really big when they're ours. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, like you just, you have to feel it all before you can figure it out. So give yourself the space to do that and look for the humor wherever you can. Oh, yes. Very well said. Um, thank you so much. I agree. Everything is so relative and obviously with sense of humor, that's the best way to get through it. Even when it's just the darkest stuff, you know? Um, so perfect. And so what was the pivotal decision or the pivotal action that helped push you upwards and get you out of that kind of funk and slump? The bills, <laughs> the bills start rolling in. Like if you've ever been hospitalized, you get a gazillion different bills for every single little thing. And almost every one of those bills is wrong. Um, I also was becoming delinquent in my credit card payments um, for the debt that I had accumulated before the accident. Um, and they started calling, right? <laughs> our money. You haven't been paying your bills. I was, you know, in and out of hospitals and nursing homes. I was homebound. I was on a lot of painkillers. I didn't know which way was up. And I just wanted to hide from all of it. Um, one credit card company canceled my card. Another one cut my limit down to my balance and maxed me out. Um, fortunately, I had one more credit card that I could live <laughs> off of for a while. And I was living on um, cash advances. I was living on food stamps. Um, my employer did not have disability. So um, I fortunately, I was living in the state of New York at the time, and they did have a short-term disability program. So I, I think it was about $160 a week I got for that. I had about $125 a month for food stamps. That's what I was living on, along with my credit cards. And here comes this mountain of bills. I'm like, am I going to be homeless? Am I going to be bankrupt? Um, what am I going to do? Um, and I just, I tried to stick my head in the sand and ignore it. And, you know, that's when they start calling. Um, and, you know, I had that feeling of it being very unfair um, and realized, like, I owed. That was reality. Um, I needed to get my act together. And so one day, reality called. And, and I just sat down with this mountain. A lot of the bills I hadn't even opened up. I just had them in a pile. Uh, and I started opening up every single one and making piles and organizing them and wrapping my head around this whole situation. Um, I'm, I made sure I understood my insurance 
policy. I started um, calling the insurance company and calling all of the medical billing offices to connect the dots. Was this accurate? Did the claim need to be refiled? How much did I really owe? Because I did not owe as much as they were um, telling me that I owed, but I did owe a lot. Um, and I recommitted myself to the job search that I had already started and that I would start interviewing the second I could get myself to the curb and get in a cab, um, which took many, many months. So my accident was on August 1st. So I'm coming up on my 10 year anniversary of the accident. And it was, um, I think by late February, I could hail a cab. And um, I still did not look like I was in very good condition. I was walking with a cane. I was walking very, very slowly. Um, I was wincing with pain. Um, my wrist had recovered quite a bit, but it was still wrapped because it was weak. And um, I did finally start getting some job interviews and uh, my physical condition, it, it upset some of the hiring managers. It made them uncomfortable. And um, my heart just goes out to people who are permanently visibly disabled and who are met with that kind of discrimination and they can't get around it. I, my disabilities are not obvious to people. Um, when I speak at conferences, I'm in pain the entire time I'm standing on that stage, um, but I don't let anyone know it because at the same time I'm doing what I love and I want to be there doing it even though it is excruciating and difficult and I have to um, sit and relax and have a break afterward, but, um, but it's not obvious. And so I can get through my life without people realizing anything is wrong with me. But um, the way that people responded to me when it was obvious that something was wrong with me was very upsetting and very scary. Um, so I, I just kept on going. I kept on interviewing and I finally got a job offer. And um, I was very excited because it was an organization with a lot of um, recognition. And so it was gonna look great on my resume. It was, I was gonna be working with an exciting group of people. And um, I didn't get the six figure offer though that I had been looking for. Um, uh, but they promised me that at my three month mark, my 90 day, that they would bump me up to that goal and I'd be on my way. And things seemed like they were going great until the 90 day when they fired me and sent me on my way. Um, so there I was, I had relocated out of New York City for this job. I'd leased a car, I'd leased a new apartment. I had more bills than I had before and then I had uh, no employment. Um, and the decision that I made at that point, I think um, is very surprising to a lot of people. So even though I had a huge amount of debt, no job, First of all, I didn't panic. It was the first time I'd lost a job and I didn't absolutely freak out because I had just been through hell. I had just been through the worst of the worst and this was nothing in comparison to what I'd just been through. So I was kind of chill about it and I, um, I invested in myself. I actually spent more money. I bought a computer. I bought clothes and accessories that I needed to look more polished in my interviews. I hired a resume writer, which I cannot tell you all enough how important it is to spend money on things like resume writers, career coaches, um, attending conferences, or, or if you even have an opportunity to speak at a conference, but certain expenses are gonna come out of your own pocket, spend the money because it comes back to you. So even though I had profound amount of debt, I spent more money 
And the thing that I spent the most money on was more physical therapy because not only did I lose my job, but I lost my health insurance. This is prior to the Affordable Care Act. So there was not an Obamacare plan for me to get. The plans that were available were very expensive. They didn't cover anything at all. And so, um, but I had time on my hands and I still had more physical recovery to make. So I went back to physical therapy because I couldn't walk down the stairs properly um, in my condition at that point, which was um, about a year and six months after the accident at that point, I couldn't walk down the stairs forward facing. I could only go downstairs sideways. So I um, decided that was my goal. I want to walk down the stairs and I went back to physical therapy and I negotiated the rate and I just put it on the credit card. The one credit card that didn't get canceled or maxed out, I just put it on the credit card. $13,000 I spent to learn how to walk down the stairs. Um, and so like the point that I want to make there is like never say I can't because of money. Um, you can if you are in a toxic situation, a toxic workplace or a toxic relationship that you need to get out of. Don't let money be a barrier like you will find a way you probably if you are a professional and you're on this call, you probably have a credit card and it is okay to take on debt for things like this. Um, to go to events, to spend money on resume writers. Someone is asking for a resume writer recommendation. Yes, I can give you one. It is RTP resumes. They are based in Raleigh. They can work with you anywhere. I'm working with them right now on a brand new resume, as a matter of fact, and it's going great. Um, but yeah, never be afraid to spend money when it is going to advance your, your, you personally, uh, professionally, or even emotionally. Ooh, okay, I'm getting emotional listening to you speak because, you know, I have found by being a part of these conversations that women tend to invest a lot less money in themselves, uh, professionally speaking, than men do. And so um, I think that's such an important point you're making. And also your story is just very impactful. So um, thank you for that. And thank you for that. I, I need to do resume writing and I need to get a career coach. So if anyone has a good recommendation, please uh, drop that in the chat as well. Um, and, um, Lisa said, love it. You will find a way. And yes, Sandra said, Jen, you took so many risks in a short amount of time and also fell down along the way. You did not let the setbacks or harsh luck stop you from picking yourself back up and getting out there. Um, no, I mean, you're really, it's such an incredible story to hear. So thank you. Well, there were dark moments. Like, don't believe for a second that every day I was like, yeah, I can do it because I wasn't like that every day. There were tears. There, were, there was sadness. There was frustration. Um, but that's normal. Perfect. Thank you. And Sammy is asking, and so I'm also posing this to anyone else who's on the call, about seeking a career coach or resume for software engineering. Um, so I don't know if you know anyone, Jen, who you would specifically recommend, but at Power to Fly, we have a career coach who does uh, three chats monthly about interviewing, um, resume, and uh, career coaching, I believe. Yeah, and another great place to find um, career coaches is the Tech Ladies um, Facebook group. And if you just search career coach, you'll see a bunch of different options there. Perfect. Thank you. Um, and so were there positive influences during that time that helped you develop this warrior attitude to stand up and or understand your self-worth? What were these positive influences? Uh, some of it does come naturally to me. Um, and unfortunately, it, it, I mean, it is, it is powerful and I love that piece of me, but it was the result of a difficult childhood 
this like, I'll show you, I will make it um, kind of mentality. But um, I, I would sometimes lose it. I would have those moments of like falling into the victim mentality and feeling like I, I was powerless and being very frustrated. And also I was a young, um, ambitious woman in the South when I started my career. And so there were extra um, barriers to, um, you know, the sexism is worse in the South, or at least my experience, you know, in the 1990s and early aughts, it was made it all the more difficult. Um, so I, even though I had kind of a natural um, go get it kind of attitude, it was squashed for a while um, and it was rough. And um, after my divorce, I kind of um, felt reinvigorated again and excited about my life. And I had no idea what was gonna happen to me personally or professionally, but I was excited like anything could happen. And, and that's, that's an adventure and that's exciting. And so um, I was accomplishing a lot at my job, but, but I was running into some brick walls in, in terms of moving forward. Um, and I started to become aware that I was underpaid and um, because resources like Glassdoor were starting to pop up and um, the digital marketing world was really starting to evolve and be taken a lot more seriously rather than like, oh, you just create websites and they're like a brochure. Um, you know, we were moving into much more sophisticated strategies. And so I was becoming aware of what my value was, um, but I read a couple of books that inspired me and really fired me up and I still have one of them. I brought it, here you go. It is uh, Earn What You're Worth from Nicole Williams. I don't think it's still in print, but you can probably buy a used copy. And this lit a fire under my behind like you wouldn't believe. And also a book called Secrets of Six-Figure Women. Um, and I was just hell-bent on getting that first um, six-figure job because I was underpaid by about 40 to 50% at that point in time um, when the accident disrupted my job search. Um, and so uh, what kind of kept me, helped me bring back that warrior feeling um, post-accident, you know, after I pulled my head out of the sand and assessed my financial situation and that mountain of bills, um, it was the high quality friends I had surrounded myself with. Um, and my friend Naomi in particular is an absolute straight talker, will tell you like it is, she doesn't sugarcoat anything. And she's like, you know, yes, you have injuries, get it together. Um, and she was right. And those, we need to surround ourselves with those people who are honest with us and who challenge us to be our best and who are not only our friends, but uh, people that we can admire as well. And, and she's been an important part of that for me. Thank oh, you for sharing that. Look in the chat. Um, it's Earn What You're Worth, Nicole Williams. Perfect. And I was actually just typing that out. And I think the other book you said was Secrets of a Six-Figure Woman, right? Um, yes, yeah, Secrets of Six-Figure Women. Close. Perfect. Plural. Um, and then I'll also include these in the follow-up email for everyone who's on the chat. So we'll make sure that we get you those resources. And I just wanted to share um, that somebody was following up on what you said about spending the money. Um, and they said, we can do it. I do not have a support family. Just two years ago, I spent my savings, hired a lawyer, called a domestic hotline. I left abusive home with, with kid, no job, no support, little help. It was very scary. Um, and they, friends helped from a distance, but they said it was the best money they ever spent. Um, so thank you for sharing that with us. And I don't want to say your name for um, privacy purposes, obviously. Um, and then um, somebody said, awesome, so awesome job. Scary. Oh, like my heart goes out to you um, for for surviving that because getting out of domestic violence is 
something else that I've also personally dealt with and it is terrifying and very challenging. So kudos to you. Definitely. Um, and then uh, Lisa has a question in here, but um, Lisa, before we get to your question, I just wanted to ask you, Jen, about your relationship with money and how, you know, uh, that's changed. I mean, eventually you were able to start paying your bills and, um, you know, have you felt some trauma from that time in your life uh, where things were really, really tough? Yeah, I've experienced a lot of trauma. Um, you know, all, uh, the financial trauma, emotional trauma, like the trauma of not being able to pay for food earlier in my career, that stuck with me. And that was scary. And I didn't ever want to feel like that again. Um, it's, we're all going to experience trauma on some level. Um, and you have to feel it and you, but you have to find your way out of it. And I, I started like, uh, my brain started like fixating on that like earlier part of my career. Um, and, I, and, and then my train of thought got a little bit lost. But um, your, your question was specifically about um, the, our relationship with money. Yes, being afraid that the money will not come um, will set you back. Being afraid to spend money and invest in yourself will set you back. Um, a lot of women ask me for career advice, um, members of women of email especially, and I, I'm always saying, get a resume writer, get a resume writer, get a resume writer. It'll cost you between $200 and $900, um, and it is the best money you can spend because it will come back to you so fast. You're going to get more interviews with better companies that pay better and have better benefits and better culture, and so even if you get a job um, one week faster or one month faster, uh, or you get a, a, a more um, lucrative offer or a better company, the money comes back to you with that very first paycheck. So it is silly to tell yourself that this is an investment that you cannot make. Um, and, you know, just as I spent 13 grand to learn how to walk downstairs, that was money I did not have. But you don't hesitate to take out a student loan so that you can get your undergrad or graduate degree. So why do you, why do we have this relationship with money um, after that point in time? Why do we think that we can't spend money? It's okay to have debt as long as you have a plan to get out of debt. And I did have to make a plan to get out of debt. And I did. I successfully got out of debt. I, um, in addition to that 30 grand in debt that I had prior to the accident, my combined lost wages, medical expenses, and indirect medical expenses, which I would describe as things like that technically weren't a medical expense, but were related to the accident, such as the fact that I had to take black car service everywhere I went um, with my... Um, my uh, nurse's aid to be with me, uh, you know, that was very expensive just to go to doctor's appointments. So I'd have a doctor's appointment or maybe it was a $50 copay, but it would cost me a hundred dollars round trip to go there. Um, so that adds up quick. So um, I had to spend money in order to do these things. So don't be afraid that the money will never come because if you don't invest in yourself, then the money won't come. Um, so, stop thinking about what you can't do. And um, you can make a plan. And what I ultimately ended up doing after I, I lost that job, I did find another one, I, I, surprise. Um, and I did finally get that six figure offer that I was looking for. 
and my lease came up and it was time to renew and uh, yeah, the rent was going up and I had to decide like, am I going to continue to pay this to live here or you know, what are my goals? What are my financial goals? And so I sat down and I made a spreadsheet, like what are all of my fixed expenses? What is all of my debt? And if I set a, a goal date of paying off all of this debt, um, what would it take to get there? And so I set a goal of my 40th birthday to pay off all of the debt. And I did the math and I calculated how much I would have to throw at all these credit cards to get there. And, you know, based on the salary that I was making at that time, and I figured out how much money I had left over for my living expenses for my um, rent, which is something that I could control. I couldn't control my phone bill, um, couldn't control, you know, couldn't turn off internet. Um, and wanted to make these, these payments, these big, healthy, chunky payments to pay down the debt. Um, and it left me which, with a much smaller number for rent. So I moved. I moved to a neighborhood on the outskirts of East Orange, New Jersey, which is not the safest place. Um, but I found a reasonably nice apartment. I downgraded my life um, and I did it. Um, I didn't meet my goal um, right on target, but I met it before my 40, 41st birthday. Um, and I'm really proud of that. So it's okay to have debt. Just make a plan for it. Oh my gosh, you're speaking my language. I'm drowning in student loan debt. So this is a really inspiring story to listen to and, and know that there's a hope uh, that one day I won't be drowning in student loan debt. Um, so thank you. And so Lisa, and I, there was another question that came in the chat uh, about salary negotiation and everything. So Lisa says, I need to submit a proposal to my boss for a financial promotion. I way undercut myself when I bid for the job. The owner asked me to submit this and told me not to sell myself short. I've been working for him much underpaid for two years. What am what I am researching shows almost double my current pay. I am really struggling with asking for double thoughts. And then I also want to, you know, tackle that on with salary negotiation. And if you have advice in that um, space. I see that Bridget responded, ask for double. Uh, <laughs> I know Lisa and Lisa is a wonderful, capable and smart woman. Um, and I'm with Bridget. Don't just ask for double, ask for 20% more than double. <laughs> I know how scary that feels. I get the crazy anxiety every time I negotiate a salary too. Um, and I've, I've come a really long way, but it's never stops being nerve wracking for me. But um, something that I, I, this is slightly different than the question you're asking, but when, um, job opportunities come my way when someone contacts me on LinkedIn, the first thing I ask is what's the salary range? Um, and nine times out of 10, they will tell me and I'll respond either like, I'm sorry, that's really too little for me to consider at this time. Or, um, or if they say, well, it's flexible, what's your expectation? And I throw out the 20% above my dream number. I'll tell you only once did someone say I was crazy, only once. So um, find that courage, have, have your, your uh, argument prepared, have your documentation and your examples. It sounds like this person knows he's been taking advantage of you, um, and, but it's, it's up to you to resolve it and he's giving you that opportunity. So do it, ask for a little bit more <laughs> than what you really think you should get. 
Yes. Yes. And I, I also want to chime in there. The app power to fly. I'm going to drop the link to our chats. We have tons of amazing other chats coming up, but also that we have tons of chats on negotiation. We just had a, like one last week with the lead of talent acquisition at packet. So, um, and I want to second everything that you said, Jen, like ask for that amount. Don't be afraid. Although I think that's a lot easier said than done, especially me, because I would be very afraid. And I'm just like, okay, you'll pay me. That's great to know. Thank you so much. Um, so that's, that's horrible though. That's not good. And I need to confront that. Um, and so, you know, people are saying thanks. Um, and Bridget said, maybe if he's been taking advantage of you, you should ask for a bonus too to compensate. Yeah. Um, and then Sandra First said, no, right? <laughs> Why are we so scared of no? I haven't figured that out yet, but I personally am very scared of no. Um, Jen, after all the experiences you've endured, have you also invested in a financial planner to better invest towards a strong retirement nest egg, especially during COVID times? I myself do not want to work until I'm 70. I relate, Sandra. Um, because I am not someone who has a lot of assets, like I don't own my home, I'm a renter because the area I'm in, it doesn't make sense for me to buy a home here due to taxes and um, association fees and so forth. Um, but because my uh, I don't have property and I don't have children, um, I haven't been able to find financial planners who will really work for me and with me. Financial planners generally kind of have their own interests at heart. So yeah, there's someone that I worked with to roll over an uh, 401k into an IRA and we talk every couple of years, but um, he does not give me very tailored advice that's really good for me. Um, and that's something that I've been looking for personally uh, and haven't found yet because I would like to just pay someone for that advice um, and, and get advice that's truly for me rather than um, them just getting a cut of what's what I'm uh, going, but I just can't find it. I, I'm not in that bracket, uh, apparently. There's just not, um, there's not a lot of options outside of like, have a 401k, have an IRA. Um, there, it's kind of left up to us to figure these things out. And um, yeah, so if anyone has a suggestion for Sandra and myself, I would love to hear about that. <laughs> Casey actually jumped. Yes, they, I work with someone really good out of Virginia. For all are interested, a financial planner. It's a woman-owned company. Yes, drop that. I see a few people uh, dropping. That's fantastic. Yes, please. That's what I love about this. Hammond has a planner too. Yes, put all those recommendations in the chat, and we'll all investigate them. I love it. Um, and then. It, Jen, we also had a question come in the chat about work culture. Um, and so obviously you've had your fair share of being burned by different companies and organizations. So how have you been able to, you know, seek out the culture of a company while you're interviewing or asking about them? Um, it came with experience and it, it came with bad experiences, honestly. Um, and the time that it takes to understand who you are and what you're good at and what you value, um, that's not something that necessarily comes naturally to folks early in their career. It didn't for me. So I had to have a lot of bad experiences before I could figure out what a good culture is. And something I do want to mention is that um, a toxic workplace can cause 
emotional trauma. And I feel like women are more likely to endure that and let it harm them and their lives and, and their relationships outside of work as well for much longer than I think men tend to. Uh, and I personally have done it. Um, and we have to recognize when a toxic workplace is harming us. Um, I mean, I don't think it's far-fetched to say that if you have a truly abusive manager or hierarchy, that that is a form of financial abuse and emotional abuse that, that is keeping you trapped. Um, and you have to recognize it and find a way to release yourself from it. And something that I've discovered is that when you are really, really struggling professionally and, and, and you're angry and you're in this toxic environment, um, you are somehow, you're not putting positive vibes into the world and you are not attracting the good jobs to you. And so it seems like the, that you can't escape. And sometimes the only way to escape is to put it all on the line and walk away and get some distance from it, some, some distance in terms of time and some emotional healing where you can get your head on straight and focus on taking a job. Um, and I know it's from a place of privilege to say, you know, walk away with nothing lined up, but um, credit cards, man. <laughs> I, keep, I know that like it's conventional wisdom to not put anything on your credit card and to not have credit card debt, but sometimes that debt, it can take you so far. And if it's truly, truly that bad, give it some consideration. Something else you can do is have a heart to heart with them and say, um, this position is not meeting my expectations. This culture isn't meeting my expectations. And um, I don't think it's working out. And, and can we talk about what an exit would look like? And uh, there are a number of companies that will pay you to leave when things get that bad and it's not working for anybody. Um, so it might not happen. They might fire you on the spot. But my experience has been um, when things are really bad, you get pushed out eventually anyway. And the um, level of stress that you have, like, it, it's like, oh, I might not be able to buy anything. Um, but my gosh, I feel a sense of relief. Um, and that's worth more than that paycheck. So try to find a way to do that if you can, to get out and um, rehab yourself emotionally so that you are a desirable job candidate. Thank you so much for that. Um, and I know we have so many amazing questions, but we had another interesting question that came in the chat um, that said, thank you for encouragement to spend the money on a career coach and a resume. I have held back for so long, but also afraid yet another work of a, yet another work environment. Do you have any recommendations on books or programs to make you a better interviewer? Um, I don't, but I would um, lean on a career coach for that because they really do a great job of coaching you through um, interview scenarios. So um, go that route. I don't know that a book will give you as much um, value as a human who's challenging you and asking those questions and having some, some drills with you. Perfect. And I just want to shout out that at Power to Fly, we have tons of resources. We have various chats about a lot of these subjects. And we also have a career coach, as I said, who does um, three free sessions per month. And then she also does charge. Um, and she has a very good rating 
on, I don't know where, but I know she has a good rating. So I just wanted to shout that out as well um, as something to look out for. And so, oh my gosh, I'm really sad that this is like coming to an end. I think we have about, you know, eight minutes left. Um, but what is Women of Email? Tell us more. How can you become a member? Um, yes, Jen, tell us more. Women of Email is a 501c3 nonprofit association uh, for women whose careers touch the email marketing specialty. We were founded in 2016 in response to a lack of female representation among thought leaders in the email industry, especially among conference speakers. Um, and we set out to level the playing field. So um, it was just an idea that was being kicked around uh, between myself and three other ladies. Um, uh, Laura Atkins of Word to the Wise, uh, Kristen Bond of Girl Scouts of the USA, and April Mullen, who's currently with Spark Post. And um, I was like, this is a problem. Why don't we do something about this? They were like, yes, we would love to do something about this. And I was like, well, why don't we just fire up a Facebook group and you know, invite our friends within our networks and just start talking about it. We had 100 members within 24 hours. And it just blew up um, faster than we could even plan for it. Um, and so uh, true to the, the point that we organized, which was you know, more women thought leaders, we have a speakers bureau, about 1500 of our members are members of the speakers bureau. So we match conferences with female talent, uh, companies that are looking for webinar speakers, um, all sorts of events. If you need a speaker and you're interested in emerging talent, we've got them we also help to coach them we help women prepare proposals for conferences and so forth um but we're best known for our community our facebook community which is so warm and welcoming there's no stupid questions um and it, you ask a question and you'll get 10 different responses with different perspective and you never stop learning there i never stop learning there people think i know everything about email no i'm learning every day from the women of email members um we also, uh, it, during normal times, we have meetups and events, um, and we are gonna be expanding our board of directors. Uh, we're gonna be reorganizing as a charity organization so we can accept bigger donations, so we can have more impressive programming and do a whole lot more. Um, membership is free, and that's really important to us because um, the people who need associations and that support network and that that help the most are the people who are least likely to be able to afford it and so we do make this free to all a big proponent of spending money when you need to spend money but you don't have to spend money to be a member of women of email we welcome everybody whose career touches email marketing so look for our facebook community join there uh, if you complete uh an application on our website then you will formally become a member of the association and you'll be eligible for our programs uh, one other program we have is also our scholarship program we work with conference organizers to get free passes to conferences um, so that people who otherwise wouldn't be able to attend have access to those. Um, that's just some of our high level things. There's lots more going on behind the scenes and lots more to come as well. Oh my gosh, Jen, I love it. It's so cool. Um, Sandra said that woman, she joined Women of Email because of you. Lisa said that you're a rock star every day. You truly are. And she said that she also loves a Women of Email group. Um, and so you are a rock star and we have four more minutes and I want to get another question in because we had so many good ones come in. Um, but how did you motivate yourself via your career? What is behind email that gave you incentive to walk again? Um, 
Email is like a cult, right? I recognize a lot of the names in the chat um, from the email community, and they all know, like, once you're in, you're in for life. Nobody chooses email marketing. Email marketing chooses you. You just fall into it. Um, it's not perceived as a very sexy digital marketing channel. Um, nobody aspires to do it, but if you fall into it, um, oftentimes you find that the challenge is really exhilarating. It requires this left brain, right brain um, mix of, of, of capabilities like technical and strategic and um, creative all mixed together. And the people who do this work, there's just a like-mindedness about them. And so you put a bunch of email geeks in a room together, they have a lot to talk about. They have a lot in common, even though we look different, we have different lifestyles and we have different backgrounds we can all talk shop like nobody's business and get along like you wouldn't believe. Um, and it's terrific. And so Women of Email is really a reflection of that um, spirit. Um, it's a special community and it's not exclusive to Women of Email. There's another organization, it's an informal organization called Email Geeks and they have a Slack group. And so if you're not a woman, um, you're welcome to join uh, Email Geeks. And um, I would recommend joining both if you're a woman. Um, and in that camaraderie is it's present in that um, place as well. Anytime you go to an email conference, there's just this warm and welcoming thing about the community. Um, it's a very challenging thing to do. Um, so email can be very sophisticated, which a lot of folks don't realize. Um, and and it's a it's like if you love puzzles, um, it's a great challenge. It's something wonderful to be in. So. Um, yeah, if, if you're looking for a direction to take your career and you're in digital marketing, check out email. It pays better than the other channels too because it's harder. Oh my gosh, I love this. Oh my gosh. Um, and I dropped uh, Jen's LinkedIn as well as my own in the chat for anyone who wants to connect. But, uh, you know, people really love this. Um, Emily said, one of us, one of us. And Jennifer West said, uh, women of email is so amazing and so is Jen. Um, and Lisa said, email is sexy. Thanks to women of email. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And okay. We have time for one more question. We have just a minute left and I am definitely willing to go over just a couple of minutes, um, as well as being respectful. So if you have to drop, thanks for being with us, but what are some of the daily habits you adopted that were key in leading to your success? I am one of those people who loves to read about, um, successful people and their profiles and they always talk about their daily routines and the areas of their lives that they never compromise on it's like how they work in their fitness and and their their um, healthy eating and their families and these super successful careers and i'm i always read this and i'm like damn how do they do that um I am not one of those people, unfortunately. I'll be honest, I'm a hot mess. Um, I have terrible ha habits. Like I'm not a role model for good habits and good routines. Um, I was in the thick of my recovery um, and, and I was in and out of physical therapy for seven years. Um, I was committed to my physical recovery, absolutely committed to that. So I was going um, 
three times a week to, to physical and occupational therapy. And I would, under no circumstances, cancel those appointments. Um, and when I had all those bills, I would spend at least one full day per month sitting down and catching up on, you know, where am I at on all these claims and, and what still needs to be paid? And, and can I negotiate something with them? Um, can I get them to charge me less? Can I get them to just accept it in installments? Um, and the rest of um, what I do is just sheer willpower and when I have a burst of energy and motivation, I capitalize on that. And sometimes I'm motivated by deadlines, like you better get this done. And you know, maybe you're gonna be up till 3 a.m. getting it done. Um, but but that's I work when I feel like I, I have I'm energized to do it. And when I need a day to recover or I need a day to feel sad or frustrated or whatever emotions that are, are negative that I need to process, I, I take the time to do that too but unfortunately i don't have like a really good rule book on like you know i drink eight glasses of water and i always eat pickles with every meal or, or any kind of strange routine like that to share with you unfortunately no i love it i love the authenticity um it's so cool because it's really refreshing to hear oh you can be successful without getting up at 4 a.m every morning and you know working out and doing cardio for an hour and then eating only you know taking grass shots, uh, you know, like liquid grass shots that I feel like I've seen that portrayed way too many times. <laughs> and so as we end, Jen, what did you reward yourself with? At least one thing after all the sacrifices and everything you overcame, was it a spa vacation? I really did not give myself a big gift until um, I got my last big job offer. Um, I finally felt like I had really made it when I had ascended to my dream job and I had created it for myself and I got paid what I thought I was worth and it felt amazing and my lease was up and it was time to move and I upgraded. So <laughs> I am living in a really beautiful community um, and it was a splurge and uh, I actually, I have a, a I'll, I'll, I've just, I've been here for two years and I'm going to be here probably until October next year because I signed a 20 month uh, renewal when it came up because I love it here so much. But um, I've got some beautiful outdoor space, which is rare in the New York City area. And um, I have been able to really enjoy it due to the pandemic because I'm homebound and, and I'm not on the road. And so I'm, I'm here. I'm, I have a nice kitchen. I'm cooking. I invested in some nice cookware. I'm gardening. I've got like a lovely plants. People walk by my terrace and they gush about the plants. And so that's been my reward has been um, my home and my lifestyle that I've been able to create, but it took me 10 years to get there. Wow. Well, Jen, I just want to thank you so much for your inspiring story of overcoming adversity, your humor that obviously still lives on today, and obviously the amazing community that you have grown um, that, ha that have had so many people join us today. Uh, so I really just want to say thank you. And I also want to invite people to come back to more chats. I love doing this. And um, so thank you so much for being here and, uh, sharing your amazing story with us. Oh, I really appreciate the opportunity, Nicole. You were a great host. I loved it. Thank you. This is, uh, this is like my gateway into being a talk show host. So one day, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> hoping one of the big ones will see me one day and say, she's the one. Um, oh, thank you. So thank you everyone. And I hope that you have a wonderful Tuesday. I almost forgot it Tuesday because you made it so fun. It felt like a Friday. Um, so have a wonderful day, everyone. And stay safe, please.
Bye, friends.